Last time we talked about God's being patient with us and that he is repeatedly, indeed you might say infinitely patient with us and that's the grounding for why we should be patient with one another. Uh, the gospel is that he is patient with repentant sinners and uh, re- forgives repeat offenders. And so we are to be as patient with others according to the teaching of Scripture and the gospel as God has been and is being with us. And so I'm trying in this short little series of time I've got left to um, teach you what the gospel itself tells us to do. And it defines uh, fellowship on a horizontal dimension, I believe. I call it one anothering, taking the phrase right out of the scriptures. And by the way, there's some copies of that one anothering handout sheet on the table as you come in. Um, the gospel is not repent and believe in Jesus and then live by the law in your own power. If that is the, the, the gospel, put that in quotes, then there are really only two options. Uh, I think I have successfully done that, in which case I'm going to be, if I'm not already proud, or you, I will think I have failed to do that, and I will probably be depressed and despondent. And I can't find any good news in that, and I doubt that you can either. The gospel is repent and believe in Jesus and then live in accordance with God's law and the power of the Spirit as the gospel directs us to live. The gospel itself will tell us a lot about how to live the Christian life. And in fact, it is the gospel that works on our hearts. Uh, The law doesn't work on our hearts nearly, I think, as much as the gospel. And and it's uh, transformative I think it activates, you might say, the gospel activates the power of the Spirit in our lives. So, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to look at Galatians 6, verse 2, uh, bear one another's burdens, okay? Let's pray. Father, it is your word, uh, and it reveals you, and it reveals the way of salvation, and salvation includes the good life. So show us what the good life is today, the godly life, and transform us from one degree of glory to the, to the other. And I pray that you would be with a wretchedly sinful man, a crooked stick, as he seeks to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We believe the Bible is the word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice Galatians 6, beginning at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. 
One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word. It doesn't fade. It abides forever and forever. Our text is the verse 2. Bear one, another, one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How does bearing burdens sound to you? Does it sound appealing or does it sound a little off-putting? Most of us would say it's not very appealing. It's not a very flattering concept. Uh, if you think of uh, one of the uses of the word burden, you think of the, word, the phrase beast of burden a beast of burden, a donkey or a burrow, uh, working hard, getting tired, becoming sweaty. It's not a very attractive concept to say bear one another's burdens. But that said, bearing burdens is good in the life of the church because it glorifies God and it does good to God's people by growing God's people. It grows the one whose burdens are born, but it also grows the one who bears the burdens of the other. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. So let me dig a little deeper and say, what do I mean? What does the text mean by burden? And uh, in the original language, uh, a burden is a weight. It's that which weighs you down. It can be physical. Uh, I was trying to carry around a bag of wet sand yesterday, and it was a burden. Uh, it can be physical, it could be firewood, it could be bricks, it could be any heavy weight. It can also be spiritual or emotional or psychological, things that burden us. Some are burdened for the salvation of a friend or family member. Some are concerned that, that they sin much more than they would like and they want to be more holy in their living. Others are burdened about health and jobs and children and spouses and parents and school and the future and all sorts of things. Burdens, I think, are rightly anything difficult or grievous to carry on the inside of us or on the outside. And as William Hendrickson says, we should not be too quick to seek to limit the meaning of a burden. Well, burdens are this, but, but no more. It can, I think, rightly apply to any kind of oppressing affliction that we are capable of, 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 of sharing in the body of Christ. So let me look at the context with you a bit. If you've got a Bible open, um, look at it briefly, quickly in the beginning of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then in verse 13, 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't say, well, I'm free. Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Christ has let me, set me free from guilt. Therefore, whoopee, I can live it up. No, he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Freedom from the law, from the law, freedom from the law is a means of righteousness, freedom from the law is a means of salvation for serving our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Immediately after that, in chapter 5, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which would mean what? Helping your neighbor bear his or her burdens. He says in, later on in chapter 5, to walk by the Spirit and don't be conceited. Basically saying, look, humble yourself and serve one another by bearing one another's burdens. Now there's some confusion perhaps caused by verse 5, and I'll just say a word about that and then we'll press on. Um, Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then in verse 5 it says, for each one will have, for each will have to bear his own load. So you've got this thing, bear one another's burdens and you've got to bear your own load. Right within what? Three verses of one another. And so when you get to something like that, and there are many places in the Bible, um, um, that, that have things like that. There's a place in the Gospels I love to teach from. It says, uh, don't fear. And it's talking about don't fear uh, people, but fear God. So in, in really, in the, just a few verse uh, uh, distance, so to speak, it says, don't be afraid, but fear God. Okay, well, I get it. That makes sense. So what does it mean here? Well, I think the, the, to boil it down, when it says... Um, um, Each one will have to bear his own load. He's talking about his own load of sin, and he's talking about at the final judgment. I think it's a it's a verse uh, that verse five has to do with the with the final judgment uh, in the future, uh, and not at at all what he's talking about in verse two. Uh, When something comes up like that in the scriptures, uh, you've got to either say. Well, Paul was high on marijuana or something, or Paul was, uh, had a mental lapse, he was an old man, or maybe I need to dig deeper. And there are people that love to find conflict in the Bible, and they see something like that, and oh, well, the Bible can't be right, the Bible can't be God's Word, the Bible can't be without error. And they're looking for places uh, to find fault with God's Word And I'd rather say a charitable reading, a faithful reading, a submissive reading to God's Word will bring resolution to all sorts of concerns like that. So here's my outline. First, there are two assumptions that are built into verse 2 that are easy to miss and important not to overlook. Secondly, there is an an imperative that is in verse 2. And then thirdly, there is a reason or goal that is appended at the last part of the verse. So let me give you the two assumptions that are built into verse 2 that are not explicitly stated, okay? Here's the first one. Every person has burdens. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't say bear the burdens of those who have burdens, but don't try to help the others. Uh, It assumes that everyone has burdens. 
Uh, and I want to give some detail about that. For instance, uh, when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are laboring or heavy laden, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking about being burdened by sin. And there are people that go to other people and say, I'm really struggling in this area. Would you help me? Would you hold me accountable? Bear one another's burdens. Um, In Galatians 6 verse 1, there's what you might call backsliding. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So here's a person that is struggling... Uh, slipping, in danger of falling, and the, they need help. And the scriptures tell us, you've got to help them. Your spiritual should restore them. Don't just let them fall away, but go to them. Seek to help them. And, and burdens are also, if you look through the scriptures, uh, shortages of money or health or what you might call a shortage of spirit, the depressed and discouraged. Um, Why are you cast down, O my soul, wrote the the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Uh, When you think of burdens, you think of Israel maybe in the wilderness, and they're thirsty and they're hungry. And God is going to be their God, and He's going to take care of them. And He gives them water from a rock, and and He gives them the manna, and He gives them the quail. Uh, But but everyone has burdens. There are Christians that need help of money, and they need help in their health, um, and they need help in their spirit. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, encourage one another and build up one another as you're doing. So there are various ways we're burdened. There are various times we're burdened. I think often burdens come in seasons. Um, uh, You could say, well, at almost any time in a person's life there are burdens. Yes, that's true. But they they tend to come in seasons, I think. Thank God they're not, not as intense at all the time as they are some of the time. Um. So I think this is a universal truth that all people in all places at all periods of history in this fallen world have burdens. No one's exempt. There are no lives so charmed or so wonderful or so perfect that they're without burdens. Indeed, if you think another life is without burdens, you don't know that other person. You really need, would need to dig in and get to know them, and you would know that they are carrying a, a, a weight on their shoulders. Summer of 1973, I was uh, uh, working with young people in a church in, in Texas uh, after my first year of seminary. And the man I was working for, uh, the, the senior pastor there, uh, only pastor there, was, a, was an interesting character. I can't give you his name, or it's an unusual name, and you, you could do research and figure out who it was, and so I can't do that. Um, He told me one time this, and I was too 
uh, young and too inexperienced and too thick-headed to get it. He said, Alan, treat everyone as if their heart is breaking. There's a pastoral theology in, in one sentence, actually. Treat everyone as if their heart is breaking. And I said, why? And he said, because it probably is. Oh, that's perceptive, isn't it? So I followed that up with the, with the question, has your life gone about like you thought it would? A guy I know in the ministry, I found out just in the last two days on Facebook, he and his wife lost twins years and years ago. Born at about 20 weeks, neither one of them made it. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And so the first assumption is every life has burdens. And secondly, it's pretty obvious, but you can forget these, okay? We are not meant to bear our burdens alone. You say, Alan, this is so simple. Yes, it is, but you can forget it, right? We deny our needs. I mean, we're Americans. We're Americans. We don't have needs. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We take care of our people and we take care of our stuff and you take care of your stuff. But we're not wired in American culture to admit our needs. How are you doing? Fine. (laughs) That's one of the biggest lies that we tell one another in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And not only do we not deny our needs, we, we resist help from others and, and we live independently. If you said to me at, at over 40-something years of pastoral ministry, is it more difficult to get people to give help, to want to help people bear burdens, or is it more difficult to get people to receive help? By large factor, it's the latter. I mean, most people I would go to as a pastor and say, you know, so-and-so, they're going through a real struggle in life. Would you call them up? Would you take them to breakfast or lunch? Would you see if you can help them or pray for them? Sure, pastor, I'll do that. Talk to somebody else. Say, you know, I I realize you're struggling a lot. Could I get get elder son? No, no, I got it. I got it. Don't worry about it. That's That's who we are. That's who we are. We need to own it. We need to face up to it. Uh, our tendency is to resist uh, uh, admitting we have needs and, and receiving help in our needs. But the truth is the, the magnitude and the multiplicity of our burdens is often enormous. Uh, they, the nature of our problems is very deep. And frankly, our resources sometimes are pretty meager. So these two assumptions, we all have burdens. And we're not meant to bear our burdens alone. If that's true, and I think it's clearly the case, it means we're not meant to live the Christian life alone. That we must be one anothering one another. We must be bearing one another's burdens. We must live interdependently, not independently. Two assumptions. Secondly, there's a commandment here to bear one another's burdens. What does this mean? Well, to, the, the, again, the, the word in the original means to, to shoulder. You know, if somebody's pushing something and, 
and, and they need help. You know, you've maybe been around somebody's car and the car quit in the middle of an intersection. You know, the worst place for a car to, to quit. And people are trying to push it through the intersection or push it over the side and, and they're having trouble. And you go and you put your shoulder to that burden and you help them push it uh, to the side. That, that's the, 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 the root of bearing one another's burdens. Um, what does that mean? Well, it, it says something to my heart, right? If I'm going to bear, help you bear your burdens, I must die to excessive concern for myself. But my culture continually tells me to be concerned for old number one. Paul, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians, said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And of course, in that wonderful uh, section of Philippians 2, he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus in the gospel did not look out for his own interest, but for the interests of others. And he's saying, look, you're supposed to live your life that way too. And the, 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 the hidden... Part of that is that our life will be richer, better, more joyful if instead of seeking to live for our own glory, we seek to live to help others. If we'll put the shoulder, so to speak, to their problems. I must, if I'm going to obey this command, uh, care and have great compassion upon those who are bearing the burden of sin, especially backsiders. That's what verse 1 is about. Um, and so we're to have deep sympathy for one another and sh- sorrows and in shortages. And, and what does it say about my actions? Well, at least this, that I, we pray for one another, that I pursue the straying sinner in, in verse 1, uh, that I pursue straying, straying sinners like Ezekiel talks about pursuing lost sheep, sheep that go astray. Uh, in, in Luke uh, 15, the parable of the lost coin and, and the lost sheep and the lost son uh, and pursuing how God is a pursuer of the lost and we must do that. It also means we must share our goods with one another, who, those who have shortages, James 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? 1 John 3, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And did you notice how John connects that to the gospel? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Oh, you mean the gospel is not just be saved, get a ticket for heaven, and punch it when Jesus returns. No, it's much deeper than that. We must tangibly support the sorrowful, go to him or her, visit him or her, encourage him or her, pray with or for him or her, give to him or her. In one of the most neglected chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 26 of the communion of the saints, it reads this way. 
And this is a little long to read in a sermon, and I frankly question my wisdom in doing it. But now that I tell you that, don't go to sleep. Listen, okay? And if you had a copy of the Confession in the pew, I'd tell you to pull it out and read it because it's unbelievably direct in the, in, the, in the way I've been talking. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by His Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with Him. We have fellowship with God in His grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another, they have communion with each other's gifts and graces. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have communion with each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. So we are obliged, according to the confession's interpretation of Scripture, to do good to our brothers and sisters, whether in the outwardly, food, shelter, clothing, or inwardly as they struggle with discouragement or sin or something of the sort. Next paragraph. Saints, by profession, are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in relieving each other in outward things according to the several abilities and necessities. Which communion, as God offers opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes in Presbyterian Reformed churches in the last few decades, we're acting, people act like, well, we just discovered we need to do mercy ministries. Friends, it was 1643 to 45 the Westminster Confession was written. They knew it then. It may have been gone into eclipse. It may be that it's it fallen out of favor at certain parts of the church's history, but it's been there for a long, long time. I need to say something about what it does not mean when it says to bear one another's burdens. It doesn't mean we're to burden others intentionally. I'm taking these from Charles Spurgeon, by the way. We're not to burden one another intentionally. We're not to spy out our brother or sister's faults. It doesn't mean we're to despise those who have heavy burdens to bear, like Job's friends. You remember Job's friends? And uh, they went as friends, and they weren't, weren't very helpful. They weren't there to help him bear his burdens. Why should we do this? I've already said this, but I want to come back to it and say it again. Why should we do this? Why should we bear one another's burdens? And it's a simple answer, because Jesus has borne your greatest burden. Jesus has borne your greatest burden. Your greatest burden is your sin. And Jesus... 1 Peter 2, 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Hebrews 9, 25, Christ suffered once to bear the sins of many. And because He has borne our greatest burdens, we are to incarnate this gospel in seeking to bear one another's burdens. We're to do unto others as God has done unto us. We're to remember the gospel and draw strength from the gospel and let the gospel work on our hearts and ask the question, has he borne anything for us? Yes. Was it big? Yes. Well, why can't I help others with smaller things? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? 
Well, I think we either don't fully understand the gospel or we forget the gospel. Or we're so focused on ourselves that, uh, that we can't see the needs of others. You know the story in Greek mythology, I think it is, of Narcissus. Uh, Narcissus is a beautiful Greek youth and he was enamored in looking into a pool and, and he saw his face and, 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 he, and he loved himself and he pined away in love for himself. That's American culture. I mean, decades ago, there's a book written, A Culture of Narcissism. And uh, I mean, people said Barack Obama's just a narcissist and then Trump got elected and he's just a narcissist. And I wonder if we'll ever get a candidate elected. It's not just a narcissist, a garden variety narcissist. Uh, sorry, I just couldn't resist. Um, but we're the, that's us too. That's ours too. I mean, youth on, only on, on phones and, and all this social media. And, it, it, and, 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 and how, how will I look to others? How will I look to others? How can I posture myself to look well? Self-absorption, self-absorbed individualism, self-absorbed isolation. And... and Another reason we don't do this, and frankly, this is probably the biggest reasons in most PCA churches I've ever been in, is that we don't have the margin in our lives to do this. What do I mean? Well, we're so busy uh, cooking our own stew, so to speak. We're so busy living our own lives, doing our own things. We don't have any time. We don't have any money. We don't have any energy left over to help somebody else. Well, I'd help them, but you know, I need a 30-hour day just to do what I'm supposed to do. Well, <laughs> as gently as I can say it, if you think you need 30 hours in a day, something's wrong. God's not calling you to have a 30-hour day, just not doing it. Do you have margin in your life to bear the burdens of others? Do you have the time? Do you have the money? Do you have the energy physically and emotionally to help others? Another reason we don't do this is because it's just messy. Life is messy. It's just messy. It's, it's very messy. So, two assumptions. Everybody has burdens. We're not meant to bear burdens alone. Secondly, a command. Bear one another's burdens. Thirdly, a reason. So fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, it's to love one another, it seems. Galatians 3, I've already read, 13 and 14. Excuse me, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbors yourself. 1 John 4, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Why is that the goal? And thus fulfill the law of Christ. Because Christ has saved us, borne our burdens, so that we will love and serve others by helping them bear their burdens. He bore our burden of sin. That's an, a real blessing, the fundamental blessing, the gospel. He bore our burden of sin. It's also an example to us that we should bear one another's burdens, which will require death to self and margin. But that's the way of glory to God and good for us and good for others. I think real life comes as we do what Jesus did. 
and we die to self and we seek to serve other people. Or stated another way, real life is doing what the gospel tells us to do. Let's pray together. Lord our God, um, thank you for this word. We confess that we love to live unmessy. Uh, we don't like. We like to avoid mess. We like to use all our resources on ourselves. Uh, we don't want to get involved. We want to be isolated and alone. Often, forgive us of that. Uh, help us to see the needs around us in our brothers and sisters, and help us to seek to help their needs. Um, And help us, Lord, to be willing to be helped. In Jesus' name, amen.